This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and thank you for joining us. I've been noticing a lot of new listeners to the show, people that are writing, tweeting, all that stuff, saying, hey, I found out about your show from a few episodes ago. Thank you. I appreciate it. I don't care where you join in. Just come along on this journey. It's super fun for me, and I hope you get some enjoyment out of it as well. The guest this week is Mr. Steve Rennie who uh, may seem like a bit left-of-center guest in regards to what we typically have on the show, but uh, I think he completely falls into the independent music culture variety that I like to uh, you know present to you. So anyways, he manages a very small band you may have heard of called Incubus, very successful, platinum recording artist, big deal. On top of that, he also focuses on being a very prolific and passionate teacher of the music industry. And while I know that may rub a few people the wrong way in regards to, oh, how do you teach about the music industry? That seems like a little shysty. I assure you, he is not. Uh, you can go to his website, R-E-N-M-A-N-M-B.com. And uh, he's got a campaign right now uh, for launching a second season of tutorial, videos, sessions, all this cool stuff that he does. So go to his website if you enjoy this conversation and support him. I did, and I think it's worth your time. So anyways, more on him in a minute. Let's get some business out of the way. This episode has a sponsor. I have been toying around with this idea for quite some time in regards to, you know, how I can maybe potentially make a little money off of this because, you know, it costs me money to do this stuff, but, you know, not including the time that I spend and not including the time that my editor spends on this show. So anyways, started to bring in some people, some products and other stuff that I personally back and I think you should check out as well. So the sponsor for this week's episode is No Sleep Records, and more specifically, they have a new record coming out on October 22nd, a band called Sainthood Reps. The record's called Headswell, and uh, you can pre-order it at nosleeprecords.com. And they got vinyl, CDs, digital, anything you want. Shirts, it's there. This band's fucking incredible. I first saw them at the Fest, uh, I want to say a year, two years ago, can't remember exactly, but... Uh, I'd always heard their name. I'd seen them, you know, maybe like a song or two at a previous tour. But this show is when it all kind of just congealed and made total sense to me. Here is a song off of their new record. Check it out. I'll talk to you in a sec.
pretty sweet, right? I've heard the whole record. It's awesome. If you like that song, you will undoubtedly like the rest of the record. Uh, that song's called Shelter, and again, it's on No Sleep Records, a band called Sainthood Reps, and the record's called Headswell. Pre-order it at nosleeprecords.com. And thank you very much, No Sleep, for supporting the show. All right, let's get some other business out of the way. Propertyofzack.com, our media partner. They talk about our show, and we talk about them. It's an awesome website. You find out everything you need to know about independent music, from what tours are happening, from what records are coming out, the interviews that bands do. Just there's so much stuff. Go there, visit there once or twice a day, and you will become edified. You will become filled with knowledge. I don't know, whatever. But you will become smarter because you are reading this website. So do that. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. I try to post some fun stuff throughout the week in between shows, and that way you'll be able to see fun things, whether it's like movies that are coming out, new records, books, whatever, pop culture stuff, because people do write in and say, hey, I appreciate you showing me this. This is awesome. Because after all, that's kind of what everyone's doing. You need to find those people who you can trust and be like, yo, they got good taste in music or, hey, they know what they're talking about when it comes to movies and uh, follow them. And so I hope to be some of your little beacons in regards to finding the good stuff versus the shitty stuff, because there is a lot of stuff out there that's terrible. And if you're feeling ever so gracious, go to the iTunes store, drop us some kind words, drop us some stars as far as reviewing the show. Uh, I really appreciate that. It makes the show look better to sponsors. It brings up the rankings in iTunes, all this other stuff that I don't know what it does, but it does positive things. And if you haven't and you've listened to the show for a while, what better time than now? Please do it. And I appreciate that. We are part of a podcast network called How We Are. (laughs) Visit howweare.org and you'll find out info about obviously this show, but then all of the other shows. This is a network that was curated by me. These other podcasts are awesome as well. Stuff You Will Hate, hosted by Sergeant D. Let's Talk About Feelings, hosted by some employees at Side One Dummy Records, Matt and Christina, good people. And then Nothing to Write Home About with Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids. They all have their own unique take on music and pop culture, and it's just fun stuff. If you like this show, you will undoubtedly like those shows. So check it out. One last thing before we talk about Steve and get to the interview. There has been something happening that I've noticed recently in regards to... Some of you are familiar with the music website called Pitchfork. It's been interesting to watch because that website, for those of you that don't pay attention to it, is basically like the holy grail in regards to cool points. (laughs) If you get a review on there that is very favorable, you know, it could potentially change certain bands' career. And they've primarily focused on like sort of indie rock and, you know, that stuff that's kind of bubbling right beneath the surface like stuff you'll see at coachella but recently uh this has been something that uh they've focused on in regards to a new music scene which is the scene that you know a lot of the bands that i interview on this show participate in uh so i i remember them premiering a balancing composure track on pitchfork which is definitely not something that they would have done they kind of took a risk by doing that but it was like one of the most shared pages on Pitchfork's, uh, you know, website that they've seen in a long time, just because that's the nature of the business when it comes to this sort of particular scene. And so it's just been really interesting to see them jump on a lot of different premieres and debuts. Like they did one for Touche Amore, they did one for Modern Life is War, all these guests of the show. And it's just been really interesting to see how they premiere that stuff because they are honestly impressed with the amount of sharing that people do and the type of uh, information that gets spread so easily 
easily and quickly in regards to the fans of those bands and that particular music. Because you have to look at a band like, you know, using a random band like uh, Cults. They may have a lot of people listening to the new track or the new record on that website, but they're not posting it to their social networks. They're just listening to the song, which is fine with Pitchfork. But the fact that people that are interested in a New Balance and Composure track are listening to it, they're sharing it, they're talking about their social networks. And it's just that that sort of interactivity is just really interesting to see the change in the perception of what Pitchfork is interested in covering. So just watch that website. It'll be interesting to see what they do over the next like three to six months, especially in regards to the music scene that obviously we hold so dear. It was, it was a little aside I wanted you to pay attention to and see kind of what's what's bubbling, what's happening over there. Um, so anyways, Steve Reddy, uh, like I said, a little left of center guest. Uh, he has been involved in the music industry in some capacity for a majority of his life. He graciously invited me over to his house and we basically sat in his beautiful backyard, uh, talked about golf talked about the music industry and so much other cool stuff i'll let him do the talking check it out i guess i should have watched where i was pissing you said i was off the rocks i'm in a fancy people duck we had such an awesome night in getting check would be a disappointment oh i usually start these things off with like my own entry point to okay. becoming aware of the of, okay. of the presence of uh steve but we uh <laughs> Uh, I think we were included in a few emails together because we, uh, for my day job, because uh, we did something with uh, the bassist of Incubus for, because he's vegan, if I'm not mistaken. Alex, uh, is, oh, oh or, Ben, Ben Kennedy. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah so because we, we did we did something with him at PETA. Um, I, when I just saw your name included on emails that I was like, it's one of those, you know, fucking mm, 90, sure. 90 people emails. Mm. Um, and so then, then, then your name just started to pop up on, you know, some of the more, the industry blogs, like the music mm. industry blogs, mm. where it's like once you obviously started to kind of strike out mm. and do mm. like, hey, like I have this wealth of knowledge and I would mm. like to share it to mm. some people. Mm. Um, and so it was one of those things because it, all my experience with sort of like music industry classes, I mean, it's a joke. Like it's very insincere or it's very archaic and outdated where it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, I remember like, granted this is like community college years mm-hmm. ago, but it's like my music teacher was being like, or my, and I, when I say music, music industry teacher was mm-hmm. like showing us sheet music. And like, this is the business of like, you know, how much you get paid. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, and so, but in looking at obviously what you're trying to do, it was one of those things that struck me where it's just like, it was, you know, it was sincere and honest mm-hmm. where as opposed to just like, mm-hmm. Oh, like, you know, not talking bad about like musicians Institute or anything like that. But mm-hmm. a lot of those, uh, you know, a lot of those classes seems like, you know, honestly like shysters, not saying musicians Institute, but a lot of these people that portray themselves as like, Hey, if you pay me a thousand dollars, I'll fucking hook you up. You know? And I mean, I, I'm going to have sure. a lot of fun today, right? Good, good. <laughs> I, I mean, I did, was it one of those things like it really kind of spawned out of that? You saw this, this, a lot of insincere things happening. So you kind of no, tried to. No, um, no, that honestly mm-hmm. had nothing to do with, with, um, my interest. Mine was much more personal and, and, and positive than that. When I started in the business, right. um, I got out of college, tried to get a job. You know, and working in the music business in the mailroom at William Morris, a tour manager, I had a couple things. Right? Mm-hmm. But all of them spawned out of the fact that I had been booking shows back in college. Okay. So I felt like I was in the music business. <laughs> and anyway, I couldn't get a job in any of those places, uh, which was frustrating because when I say I was connected, I, I really used my position as the, the concert booker at USC and prior to that right. at Santa Monica College. Um, as a, a chance to network with people in the business. As soon as I started doing it, 
I thought, okay, I love this. I'd been interested in being a golf pro. I got over that, went back to college. So when I went back to college, I was on a mission to do yeah. something, right? And I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. But as soon as I got a chance to be booking concerts, uh, I'd been such a big live music fan, still am. I still get excited going to a concert when they drop the lights. Um, that it just it felt perfect. So I, I talked to these, uh, these lawyers, a couple lawyers and a couple of guys in the finance business who were rock fans who had, were making great money and who liked to party a little bit and yeah, have fun. Yeah. So I talked them into doing that and I did that for a couple of years and then wound up joining um, a bigger firm called Avalon Attractions, um, which was the precursor of, you know, they've since been bought by Live Nation. Right. And, um, and, so very early on in my career, I, I was fortunate enough to run into a couple guys that took an interest in me, and you know partially because they'd seen me doing it out on my own. Right. You know, like I say that to people, you know, they're trying to get a job and they can't get a job. What well, my response was, I'm going to start my own. You got to create your company. job. Right, right. Well, today, kids are doing that with blogs. Of course. Right? And, and, and building some credibility. So. Um, so when I got there, there were two guys, one by the name of Bob Geddes, who was a former NFL football player, mm-hmm. um, very smart guy, you know, hardly some dumb jock, but who had very much that NFL warrior right. Alpha mentality. male, right, right. Oh, f- oh fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. If a fight was going to break out, I wanted Bob Geddes in the freaking room because he was going to do some damage and I'd probably right. be screaming and making a lot of noise. He'd be right. I'll be, I'll be right behind him. Right. Yeah, he'll be hurting some people, right? right? And um, he was kind of the silent partner behind Avalon Attractions. He was involved in a number of business. But Avalon Attractions, he was the financier. And so he staked a guy by the name of Brian Murphy. So where Bob was very much this kind of Clint Eastwood, tough guy mentality, mm-hmm. um, you know, Brian was much more of a softer touch. He was more, I like to... You know, affectionately and respectfully refer to him as you know, more of the Ozzie Nelson type. Okay. He had a very soft touch with people where Bob was like, you know, don't yeah. fuck Bull with in me. a china shop, right? Yeah. right. Yeah. Not a bull in a china shop, but. Okay. You, he was in control, but it was. You okay. just knew that you were not going to fucking play around with him. Sure. Right? And uh, so th- that was an interesting, you know, points of reference for me because both of them, I took away different things from for Bob Geddes. There's no question that he influenced that that little bit of a tough guy in me that not to be an asshole right but that understood here's what i'm here for here's how this is going to help you and help me and if we can't do that that we don't have anything to talk about yeah, yeah. so people have cutting like cutting to the chase right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i think if you did some homework with people in the business they would probably you know the word blunt would come up at, at some point not to be an asshole again but just no. to, to spare us all the time so right um, and I had some great moments of learning with Bob where I was cocky and arrogant and he would just Shut rattle my cage. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, you know, so if anybody's interested in all these stories, they can go on my website and check them out. Right, but, right. Um, but it definitely had an impact on me. And then the other side of it was this Brian Murphy guy who had a decidedly personal approach. And the times when I thought that he was way too submissive and um, too accommodating and all that stuff. But I learned that that was part of his thing. And, mm-hmm. that, and so for me, maybe I became this guy that was somewhere in between those two guys. Where yeah. When it was time to play tough guy, um, you know, I wouldn't say I was happy to do but I understood that, you know, understanding what you're there for and, and being resolute about it was important. Yeah. And, and that's, it bums some people out. But, it, you know, that's what you have to do. And that, that instinct, I think, served me well throughout my career. But that personal touch that I learned it was also a part of who I am. I'm, I'm you know, a friendly person. I like getting along with people. Um, 
I'm, I'm very fun unless we happen to get into that less than funny zone where we're in, in it about something. Sure, right? sure. So it, it, it painted my mentality. So way back then, uh, it, you know, I saw it early on. I could feel it. It was tangible, and, you know, what the interest they had in me and how it helped me get through stuff when I screwed up. You know, Brian would comfort me. Bob Geddes would bring me in and say, okay, what'd you learn out of this? You know, right. You know, that's, you fucking totally missed this one here. And he would never, like, beat me down over it. It would be more like, okay, let's not go there again. Right. So to get the message out of this one, and, yeah. and then it would be like, okay, now get out of here. Right? Sure, right. It, it wasn't, you you he, learned, you learned. He right. was not going to be my blue blankie. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> so I decided back there, or was conscious of, you know, if I ever have a chance to do... Um, for, for other people, what those guys did for me, sure. and I would do it. And I have, I love talking about the music business. I love talking about things that I love. You know, golf. Right. I could talk all day about golf. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, that was my motivation in sure. doing it. It wasn't, you know, a, a it wasn't. It wasn't you, yeah, surveying the landscape yeah. and being like, no, no that's, because yeah. the, the, that consciousness just wasn't in my mind. And I don't want to sound arrogant about it, but because the knowledge I had was gained from doing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned. You know, schools and so forth and so on right um, college is a great place to go and it's a great place to learn about yourself and it's a great place to kind of explore your dreams and hopefully you know start to you know find your own compass about what it is that that you want to do and what it is that gets you up in the morning right and and hopefully if you you figure that out um, start to get some of the skills that it would take and so when I went to school at USC um, there were skills that I learned there that were important. You know, I was studying in the, in the business school and I was in one of the very first or maybe the first entrepreneur program that they offered for uh, undergraduates. And this is back in 78 to 80. Okay. Um, and so accounting skills were important. You know, how to add, subtract, and, and more importantly, what you don't learn in those classes is how to say no when mm. it doesn't add up, how to work everybody through that. Right. And so those are skills that they don't teach you. you know? So... Um, as I got further into this, and I'm a big you know, fan of the internet and, and all that it can provide and, and conscious of the things that it's changed about the business, you know, but it, once I got into doing this and it went from kind of hobby and started going, well, you know, if you're going to do this, right. you well, got to do this right. Right. That, that part of me just, I can't get that guy to leave the building. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Right. I, I've tried, but it, you know, it is what it is. Right. And, uh, so then I started seeing all these folks out there. Because anybody can start a blog, mm -hmm. uh, be, because anybody can hang out a shingle and offer expert advice, because so many musicians um, are so obsessed with the idea of getting there, that right. I find that a lot of them would sell their soul to the devil if they take advice from the gas station attendant. Of so, course. So what I found was that there were people out there that were much better at internet marketing and much better at getting views and much better at using those tricks right, to get right. attention, um, I became aware of it. And I, and I, I kind of gently, or not so gently, refer to a lot of them as internet predators. You say shyster, I'll say predators. Yeah, because yeah. they you don't have to have any credentials. So for me, and again, a lot of it's based on my own experience, is that I've only ever been interested in hearing the doers. Right. I'm not interested in somebody's theory on the music business. If I have an opportunity to talk to people that are players. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people out there that could be more of an observer or a commentator or, um, you know, 
I don't know what the right word is, you know, an internet sure. expert by understanding the industry from this kind of macro level. Right. But that didn't play. And the analogy I'll use, and I bring this up because you know, Bob left that's big time yeah. blogger, right? And, and, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and there were times when the, I thought, you know, okay, you know, what has this guy done and all this stuff? And so I made a couple wisecracks about the guy. And I don't really, didn't really know him. <laughs> right, right. And I've since met him. And, uh, Albeit somewhat awkwardly, we met. You know, sure. But you know, you know, I look at it a little bit differently because there's a guy who is well connected with people in the business um, through his blogging efforts. He actually started in the business, you know, as a lawyer, but you know, made the decision that he felt like more of an observer and a commentator. But he stays up to speed about it. Yeah. You know? I, I play a lot of golf. You know, not the name drop, but I play sure. a lot of golf, and I play a lot of golf with Al Michaels. He's big time. You know, one of the Hall of Fame announcers. Of course, right. And um, and Al is an absolute student of the game, but he's never lined up on you know third and one. You know, on, yeah. for the Super Bowl or right. know, lifted weights. He's a nice Jewish boy from fucking Hamilton, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. who loves sports. So I have a different perspective. I think those are are not the general norm of the people that purport to be experts out there. So, of course. Um, so my advice to people is, and again, based on my own bias, but I think a lot of smart people would agree, um, listen to the doers. I was lucky enough to have people in my life that could teach me lessons that they learned from doing. None sure. of those guys, no disrespect to Don Passman, you know, yeah. uh, none of those guys read Don Passman's book to make all those millions of dollars and make all those great decisions made in the moment right. when the outcome wasn't clear and where insecurity and fear reigned mm -hmm. and somebody had to pull the trigger and take responsibility. So that that's my bias. Sure. Those are the people I want to talk to. And I think most folks out there would be well served to take a similar approach. And the good news is for artists and musicians and wannabe professionals today is they have tools like your webcast, you yeah. know, you know, my little website. There's any number of resources out there. But just like wading through music, you got to understand that there's mostly shit out there. Of course. <laughs> totally. Know? If you think it's all real, just ask these guys, what have you done? You ever written a hit record? You ever been on a big tour? Ever managed a free band? Ever worked at a record company? Right. You have any idea how it works? <clears throat> because if the answer to that is, well, no, I'm just going to say, there's all kinds of places you of can course. get advice now. Right. Um, and where you choose to get your information probably says something about Mm -hmm. Of course, you. you need to be. You need to be able to. Yeah, and that's not no judgment against no. us. They could all be smart guys, right? Uh, and girls, you know. But essentially, all anybody is looking for the, these days is obviously like to sort out the clutter. Because obviously, yeah. there's like nine million inputs yeah. that anybody can have. So to have someone that you like, okay, like you said, has credibility that you can trust in some sense of the term, and then be able to like, okay, like I, I can follow that person and you know, fifteen other people, and then. Take that composite and apply oh. it to my life. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's valid, and it's funny you mentioned you know universities and thought they were dishonest and so forth. Sure, I don't know that I would go that far. Yeah, yeah, but not an umbrella statement, but, but it's definitely. Yeah. But but to the extent that I've heard from students, it it would are arguably some of the top music schools yeah. unsolicited. Right, send me emails and tweets going, oh my god, I learned more watching your interview with Alex the Kid or I learned more watching your interview with Jordan Burliant or you know sure. you know Troy Carter. I loved listening to his take on stuff, right? Um, that's not how they teach those classes. 
And it, it, and from my perspective, and I, I've spoken at USC, my alma mater, and I'm very fond of all those people there. Right. And I think some of the people that work at the university are aware of the shortcomings of what I call this attempt to academicize mm-hmm. the music business, particularly yeah. the music business. One thing to say, here's what an A chord is, and here's how of you course. arrange, and here's, yeah, here's what music you do. theory, that's, right? That's like taking accounting if you're a musician of course you know, for a business guy that's you're learning how to organize and that stuff and that's a skill right golf is you learn there's certain things that are skill based and then right, yeah. once you get the skills then it becomes a talent head game of course at the top levels right so I think that's what I, I look at and think you know what when I think about you know somebody trying to academicize the real music business I think the only way to teach it with 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 some weight and some conviction is to teach it for people that have experience mm-hmm. you know, and, and or at least reference those things and, and get the stories of people that have done it you know the war stories of the, the veterans that have lived to tell right because most don't live to tell yeah and so that is my observation what's interesting to me is how some of these great institutions that are preparing people for the future aren't really talking about the real music business. Of and course. that would be my indictment. Yeah. And, and what's even more of an indictment, I think, in some ways, is that all of the tools that I use, for example, you know, to, quote, teach people. Right. That was never, I wasn't setting out to be a professor. That's right, I right, right, right. showed up at school when I was going there, you know. Sure. Is, turns out to be much more on target and it's something they could, they could do. Right. But it makes me wonder whether there's just that vested interest in getting people to drop their 50 grand down. Of course. somebody's old man is paying it or, or some poor bastard goes and spends two years at, you know, three years at one of these, quote, music universities learning Oof. out the music business. And they come out there thinking that somehow that's going to get them I'm going to step right, yeah, yeah. Where I can honestly God say, and I'm not saying it's smart or whatever, I'll just say what's real. I've never, ever had anybody in the music business even ask me if I graduated college, much less ask for my degree, nor have I ever asked to see anybody's degree or asked them if they had a music business degree um, when I've hired them. I got a kid today from SC, you know, former football player and walk on on the USC football team, which suggests a whole, (laughs) there's a whole lot of that mentality that I just love that somebody would would walk on. Right, to one of the most accredited, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, without being invited, but saying, you know, fuck, I'm here. Yeah, whatever, and I'm here. make right. the team. Right. right? Um, and he went to the USC music business school. But I think if you ask him honestly, as much as he enjoyed going to USC and as much as both of us are fucking Yeah, diehard Trojans. Right, right, right. Proud, you know, it, it, you know, to the risk of upsetting the whole world of being Trojans. And right. I am. I've witnessed my Trojan shirt here. Right. He would tell you honestly he's learned more in three months sitting in this office than he learned. Yeah. Practical experience. I think, I think an interesting point that you hit on there, um, you know, it kind of the, like you were saying that the two mentors that kind of, you know, uh, were able to help you grow within, Mm -hmm. you know, your experience. I've had others since then, but those two Of course. Yeah. Your starting points. I really like, because in my experience, because obviously there's, there's sort of, you know, the, and granted most of my experience definitely lies within the, you know, independent music mm. world. Like I've, I've mm. played within the, you know, major system. Um, but you know, it, it obviously turnover is very high because mm. people are, it's a job, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, but the independent music world, it's definitely like, you know, you have lifers, people are like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be dedicated to this for 40 years. Yeah. But 
the uh, there's definitely like the, uh, I find it, and it's funny anytime I run across this, like that whole old school mentality of you have to yell to get things done, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. how you're saying you have these two touchstones where it's like okay that can lie somewhere in the middle, and I truly believe that's where people like no one wants to work with a dick, no one yeah. wants to yeah. work with a person mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. that just like. I, I have to yell in order to yeah. get whatever it is that I, it's like, no, you can talk yeah. to me like a reasonable human. Yeah. Lens that said to- though, you know, you can find a lot of people that will tell you I'm a yeller. I've had my kids walk into my office a million times over <laughs> the last few years. And I'm like, why are you yelling at that guy? And I said, well, cause you know what I said, it's my youngest son will often come in there. And I'll say, you know what? Because sometimes I'm not dealing with good people. Right. right. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. while, you know, people talk about the subtlety window, I like to refer to it as, I've never found the subtlety window as often as, as other people, apparently. Right. And, and I, it never seems to have a payoff. And what you learn is, is that, um, and this is the thing I've learned over the years, if, if you treat those folks like a racehorse, you know, a good jockey carries some sugar and a whip. Right. And the good jockeys figure out what that horse needs, the whip or the sugar. Of course. And if you're going to the whip, you better make that horse believe you're fucking driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that requires yelling in his fucking ear, you fucking nag, get your ass going. Right. That's what you got to do. Totally. And so I've, uh, Brandon Boyd, is always comes and goes, you know, I never have a conversation with Steve where I don't hear at least one pound on the desk. Right, you know? right. Well, you, I, you, I, But I, the I, point is, you, you know, you, it's, not a, it's not a permanent state of being. It's not right. something you do to be mean. Right. It's just it's it's understanding where the game in that moment is being played and, and having the ability to effortlessly effortlessly shift gears mm-hmm. and say, Hey Ray, are you a sugar or a whip guy? Right, exactly. Okay. What Maybe what was your motivator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if we win, you don't even feel the whip. The right. It's just getting your attention. I'm not <laughs> yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. beat you up. I'm trying to get your freaking attention. Right, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like I just I, I want I want to motivate you and which which direction are we taking mm-hmm. it? Um I want, I want to back up with your experience and like, obviously, like you were saying, you were going to college and you were, you know, that's obviously the time. I mean, prior to that, mm. you obviously got into music and you were, you were interested in it, mm. but in college is when you're getting pulled in obviously a million different directions where you're trying to figure out what you're doing. Like, cause like you said, you were, I, I didn't know that pro golfing, I knew, yeah. I knew you were a golfer, yeah. but I didn't know that pro golfing. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, that was my trajectory too. I mean, right. I was oh. junior PGA from like seven oh, okay. till about, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> seven till about 15. And it was interesting cause it was right when I was about 13 or 14, that's when Tiger hit and yeah. the, the sport changed. Yeah. But, um, it, it's just interesting to hear like, you know, the, like I said, you were pulled in so many different directions. So what, you know, what, when did you decide that obviously like pro golfing wasn't a thing yeah. and mu- like, you know, you said yeah, that you want to be a lawyer I, in yeah, there. Like, you know, well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I grew up in Beverly Hills, went to Beverly Hills high school. And if you grew up in Beverly Hills when I did, you know, you were either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or maybe in showbiz. I, I'm generalizing, right. of course, generalizing right. a little bit, you know. Um, but there, it was very professional background and, and, and so forth. And I didn't come from a rich family and all that stuff, but, but mm-hmm. I was certainly surrounded by that. And um, so I went, I applied to colleges, and because I had such a good time back in high school, I, you know, I, I didn't get accepted. I only applied to one college, San Diego State, because it was the number one party school, and I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. go there. Right? So anyway, it <laughs> right. didn't work out, and so I had to go to, to junior college for a year. So I went for a semester to uh, Santa Monica College, and I just, you know, I just thought, this is not what I want to do. I, I, I was, I wanted to be a golf pro, and so I decided, and I'd worked at a golf course since I was 14 years old, and mm-hmm. Hillcrest Country Club, which again, yeah. funny how things play out in your life. Um, very posh Jewish club here in town. Tons of entertainment people. Tons, yeah, you yeah. Know? 
people that you caddied for. So it wasn't like you were aware, but you became aware of who the players were as I got older. Right. right. You know, and oh god, this guy Taft Schreiber, he was a horrible golfer. He's you know the head of MCA or you know Norman Brokaw. You'd read in TV guys, the most powerful agent. Right. You know, in the music business, you see him in a completely different light. Of when when, when yeah. they're off, you know, maybe the wife's yelling at him, and you're going, "Most powerful." Military. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh well. Um, you know, so. Uh, I did that for about three and a half years, and I've told the story a million times. There was an old Jewish guy there named I.B. Edelman that you, um, I became friends with because he was an old kind of cratchety guy, and I'd caddied for him a couple times when I was a kid, and I really kind of hated him because he was such, he, he felt like a nasty guy to me. Anyway, right. he had a stroke, almost died, and, uh, and so then there was a, he couldn't play golf as much. By now, I'm working in the golf shop at Hillcrest Country Club, being an assistant you know, apprentice PGA golf pro. Sure. And uh, so they had a little pitch and putt course outside the bag room. Right. So he would come in and go, Stevie, reach into some of those bags and give me some freaking balls because the, the, the joke was nobody ever threw away a golf ball in the press country. Club. Right. Like, and he tested that <laughs> and I'm so not trying <laughs> to be stereotypical. It was fucking yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, anyways, he could give me some of those balls and he'd go out and chip and putt. So we would have this conversation every day, little stuff. And at some point he said to me, what the fuck are you doing here, man? I said, I'm going to be a golfer. He said, fuck you, Steve. He said, you know what? You're a great kid. What the fuck? you got to get the fuck out of here mm -hmm. because you're going to wind up teaching a bunch of old Jewish ladies. Is that what you want to do? You want to teach Mrs. Ellis how to hit her fucking seven wood? You know, right, just right. fucking stung. You know, because it was banging in my head, you know, because I was a smart guy. I could see that, you know, I started late and love, love and enthusiasm alone mm -hmm. wasn't going to be enough. So things that I think a lot of musicians go through, whether it's their passion and so forth, and they think, God, I love this so much. But um, And the real, the real world crashes around them. Exactly. And, it's like, oh, and, yeah. and you realize that you have other options. And that's why I tell people, if you're going to try the music thing, for Christ's sake, do it when you're young and yep. dumb, because that will come in handy for you in a lot of ways. You know? <laughs> Definitely. The dumb part, mostly dumb enough to think you can do it. And I say that in a gentle way. Of course, you right, know? right. Because you got to believe, right? So anyway... Right. Um, you know, after about three and a half, four years, it was, it, it was becoming clear to me that that wasn't going to be my path. Right. And so when I went back to college, unlike, I think if I was 18 or 19 trying to find myself, when I went back to college, I was 22 years old and, um, I had made the conscious decision, okay, I'm going to go and try some, some other things. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I was, I, I think I was more focused going back to college and some 18-year-old trying to figure out his life. I'd already figured out a big piece of it, which is I wasn't going to be a golf pro. Right, right. And that's why I was thinking about lawyer and all this stuff. And, sure. And that led me to take a speech communications class um, and met a guy, another mentor, right? A guy named Norm Nichols, who is this kind of hippie dude who would smoke weed with us after class. God bless you, Norm. Weather, right, right. And anyway, he suggested I get on the debate team. Okay. And when I was in high school, there, there was nothing could have been further from my mind. I thought, all right. So, and there was another Beverly Hills derelict, but who went to Beverly Hills Catholic School, which back then was small minority. And, and anyway, he was, he had the same story as me back in high school. I had way too much fun. Really smart guy, very personal, very engaging, mm. commanding type of personality. But he fucked around. He smoked weed and right stuff. didn't so, care. Right. Yeah. So, but but same thing. He'd come back to college late. Uh -huh. uh, he was a year younger than me. And uh, was on a similar mission. So this guy put the two of us together. We go up and against all freaking odds, we knew nothing. Right. We win our first debate tournament. And I figured out right then another important lesson, which is it's one thing to be smart. <clears throat> it's another thing to have people like you. 
Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. That a brilliant guy that people don't like doesn't have a chance against guys that are reasonably smart that everybody likes. Of and course. And we proved it a lot yeah, when yeah. we're back on the debate team. <laughs> and so um, that, we, we fueled by success. We're going, well, God, that was a bunch of fucking geeks, but I do like taking a W. How about you, Kerry? Fuck Right, you. yeah, I'm of course. <laughs> Let's do this again, right? <laughs> right, right. So old Norm Nichols, you know, spotted his little politician, Steve Rennie, who was going to be, hey, Rennie, we need to run you for student government. I go, come on, Norm. What you're like, fuck? what? Yeah. Tell me why. He goes, because we need a budget and you're going to get it. So I thought, all right. You want to go to these terms? Yeah, fuck. Okay, why fuck. Not? I'll run for vice president. So I ran and won. <laughs> and uh, my wife found this old picture of my my. The picture I had on my poster is the old Uncle Sam. I oh, sure. I want you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with this, somebody described as my porn mustache with a full head of hair. It's classic. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know where my wife found this fucking thing. Anyway, um, so we did that. And then as I get elected, and it turns out the guy who's booking concerts uh-huh. at uh, Santa Monica College, I've become friendly with him. He doesn't like calling agents or managers. And he goes, well, you know, you'll fucking talk to a telephone call, Rennie. You because know, I've, dude, I'll fucking call those. Yeah, guys. no problem. Right, so right. I went from being the vice president to being the fucking booker, and then the gal who was the president of the school left, and so they made me. The, I, I ascended to be the president. I'm going. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to be the president. I just want to book the fucking concert. Yeah, you're like, I'm just I'm not running for Congress. Here. Right, this right, is just right. Just a fucking move to get the money. You're <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm just like falling into all these random things. Yeah, but yeah. there was something to that I, I've come to find over the years, and I've talked about it in the context of golf. That yeah, I managed instinctively, consciously or otherwise to stay in the scoring zone of course, where yeah, something yeah. could happen. I wasn't off in the bushes. I was right. somehow worked myself into that door was going to go, bang, I'm right next to the door. Okay. Exactly, right, and right. And then, of course, you got to get in and take and, and do it. You right. Know, it's also a perfect analogy. Of There's course. a million guys looking at the scoreboard and I know that you'd agree. Yeah. The guys that want to tell you the story before their score didn't shoot a good number. No. Because the guy shoots 67, you ask him, how'd you play? I shot 67. Yeah. The guy shoots 80, and he's like, well, you know, I fucking played great. Yeah. He's like, yeah, Three you. putts all over the place. I asked yeah, yeah. you what the fuck you shot. I didn't ask you how you're feeling. I didn't ask for the freaking novella version of this. I asked right. you what the fucking number is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, anyway... So that's how I got going and, and, and wound up getting a debate scholarship to USC. That was the only way I was ever going to get there. <laughs> right. And we beat USC two years in a row in the finals for the National Debate Championship. And it pissed these motherfuckers off so sure. bad. Well, yeah, because they're like, yeah, look at these jerks. rock and roll psychos over here from, <laughs> yeah. from a junior, junior college, college. Yeah, are yeah. taking down their two brainiacs. And it was because people liked us and we were we were. Well, you to listen, poking fun at the SC totally. guys with their Trojan fucking ties. We go, that's a nice tie. Wow, geez, Carrie, you know, you and I, we would do like doing half comedy right, in our right. eight minute segments, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I, we win the tournament. I walk out the door and the coach there goes, Miss Rennie, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. He goes, are you interested in going to, to SC and being a cheeky little fuck? I, I remember going, is that an offer? You know, it's like, I think you're like, what thinking, am I doing? How'd you get away with all this shit? You know? <laughs> yeah. But he said, yes. And so I got a full ride to USC. Unbelievable. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm the only guy that ever left SC without, didn't have a rich right. dad that didn't have a freaking loan <laughs> like the size of their mortgage. Right, know? right. And so the, the, uh, the, college booking that you were doing that was primarily like you know whatever a band you know I, i've got we have twenty thousand dollars that i need to get this band on concerts yeah. at the noontime concerts everybody yeah, yeah. could which no band is excited to play <laughs> no band's excited to play and, and because it's a bit new, irony, right. i was going to usc which for all the folks that might be watching or listening that don't know sc sc is a great school but it's down in what, is, what would be gently 
described as a tough neighborhood it is, yes. versus UCLA, which is sitting right, out here hills, on yes. the most pricey bit of real estate in the whole west yeah. side of L.A. <laughs> right. And uh, so my buddy, a guy named Jay Boberg, who I've been friends with for years and, you know, uh, was booking UCLA. And we, we kid that I, I, I only got to book the stuff that they wouldn't talk oh, to the agent so yeah, about. Oh, yeah, you did the you did fucking love. He's doing the talking heads. I'm doing the fabulous poodles. Okay. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, he did Peter Gabriel. We did. Oh, we did have the knack. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The knack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For they're, their six minutes in the sun, right? They're done. Thirty seconds of it. You know, <laughs> right? But pretty much, it was. It was right. You were scraping the bottom. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. leftovers. In fact, the first show I ever booked for money, I was back in college and talked uh-huh. my my good golfing buddy's dad into sponsoring me. And where did I book the show? Did I book it at USC? Fuck no. no I rented Ackerman Ballroom for my buddy Jay Bober. Everybody's going, Randy, what's that about? I go, I'm practical. Fuck. We're right. going to have a freaking concert down here in the ghetto. Nobody's, please. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I lived in Westwood while I was commuting on the bus right. to uh, USC and used to study at the UCLA Research Library. So I've always been somewhat... <laughs> Can, not conflicted, but right. I always live close to UCLA, but my heart has never left USC. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So I was the, only going to go to USC. Right. You're like, that. my, my heart was set on that. Yeah. The, um, and so, but you like that experience of just like being basically a talent booker. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was fun to send. Like, I loved it. Okay. I was the man on campus. Are you kidding me? We'd have these fucking, you know, big time all American football players coming up yeah. to shows and, and, and they would, they'd have to find the fucking little loudmouth debate guy. Yeah. You know? yeah and yeah, then yeah. they would all have hey, to can show. Can you get me in? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, Anthony, I'd, Shit, dude, come on in, man. And so I had these guys big as a house walking in. Right, that's my buddy who's on the football team. <laughs> I didn't fucking know. Yeah. You're guys. like, I don't, I'm, you know. <laughs> This is that's not my territory. But I'll tell you, I loved it. That's cool. Know? That's cool. Yeah. And so the the be, that basically, you know, obviously started to steer you in the direction like you were it's saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. loved. And did you like once you started to do that? That was like, yo, the music industry. I want to try. It. Like, oh, oh yeah, like yeah. that was it. Well, I just, I, it's just it's funny, you know that that, that what was kind of whispering screamed at me immediately. You know, yeah. I was talking about you know one of the great bits of advice I got from one of those mentors, this guy Bob Getty said the greatest line. Ever, I forget what I, freak. I had some harebrained idea. I was pitching him on. Bob, we got to do. That. I think it was starting a management thing at, at Avalon Attractions. Uh-huh. We got to do this. Blah 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 blah. And he goes, "Let me tell you something, Steve. There's a million fucking people and a million ideas whispering at you all day long. Let me give you some advice. I only listen for the screams, right? And and he delivered in his Clint Eastwood sure. way. But I, but I have that's just one of those seminal pieces of pieces of big picture advice that I got early on. Yeah. That I've never read in anybody's goddamn book. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah. Listen yeah, yeah. for the screams, folks. Think right. about it. When every time you got some idea and wait a week and ask yourself, is it screaming is it or is still it whispering? Because yeah, yeah. if it isn't screaming, life's too short, man. You 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 do well to get half your screams to come and be real right the whispers are a waste of your fucking time totally totally but yeah. i've met people over and over that chase the whispers yeah of course they want to yeah. multitask i go that ain't multitasking that's just that's you, you can't commit right right well yeah because you're afraid to commit because you're going to be right or you're going to be wrong yeah, yeah and that scares the living shit out of a lot I, of people yeah I, paralyzes I, totally them. totally i can i can completely understand i mean 
I think that play, because, I mean, like I was telling you earlier, it's like I, I never personally had any illusions that I was going to make it in a band. I was mm. like, this was this mm. is a, this is a very singular experience I'm mm. experiencing because I'm young, like you were saying. And I had to build, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure, I'll tour Europe. Sure, I'll tour Japan. It's like, well, why would you say no to that? Yeah. But then I never, I never had that idea of like, this is going to turn into something. I was like, I needed to supplement it with something yeah, else. Sure. And it's like the, but, you know, in part with, the idea that you know you didn't, and it wasn't so much that I, I didn't believe in the band that I was playing in, but the idea that I'm just like I know that this isn't like this isn't my calling. Like this is mm. fun, but it's not yeah. my calling. Wasn't and I think screaming at the end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, yeah. I think that totally. And plus, you know, it's interesting. You, you being a golfer. Yeah. Uh, I, I say this to people all the time. They think it's all or nothing, you know. But I said, you know, I didn't go out on the PGA tour. But right. I don't love golf any less today because I put it in a place where I could always love it. And of course. So as I had more time and became more successful with Incubus, um, you know, at fifty years old I started going out and playing and you know, actually a little bit younger than that, you know, yeah. going out and playing in tournaments again in my off time and competing and was fortunate enough to be able to spend even more time right. later in my life playing golf than I did when I had to work in the golf shop and right. you know, and so forth. So the point being is that um, I'm never going to be a, a former golfer, and nobody has to be a former musician. But I think the the the, the key thing is is making it a career mm -hmm. is ridiculously difficult. Making it a hobby is ridiculously easy. Of course. And at some point, you may be confronted with the same thing I was confronted with, which is is if you have other options, is this the only thing you can do with your life right. or that motivates you? And for me, it was just what that guy, Ivy Eagleman said, you know, it could be a great tool for you in your music career and, or in your career. You didn't know, we didn't talk about the music then. Right. And that has been unbelievably true mm -hmm. in my career. That golf thing and the lessons I learned about competing, the lessons I learned about taking responsibility, the lessons I learned about it doesn't always work out, right. have served me unbelievably well right. in my music career. And golf has been one of the greatest networking tools for me that you could possibly imagine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because no, I can actually play golf. And when I play golf with somebody, nine times out of ten, 95 out of 100, right. their, their jaws drop and I'm like, ah, we're going to be good. And it puts you in the driver's seat. Of course. In the relation. Not in an ugly way, but just no, 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 there's yeah. a little bit of authority that enters into it, which of course. if you can work with that and, and then put some context, that same guy on the golf course is the same guy that shows up at the office. Of course. If he's wrong, he takes responsibility. He doesn't blame it on the caddy. You right. know what I mean? If he has a plan and all of a sudden he whacks it over in the fucking bushes, he's he might be grumbling a little bit, but he's not snapping his club and he's not coming unhinged. He right. gets his ball and by then it's like, all right, fuck, what the fuck are we going to, how are we going to get out of this fucking mess? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. As opposed to crying about it. Of course. You know? Right, right, right. So like you said, you, you did concert promotion for years and obviously like talent, you know, mm. talent buyer and stuff like that. Did you, did you know you want to transition into the late sort of the, because you, you worked at labels obviously for a long time yeah, as well. well. No, only no, just for four years. Okay. The, the, I'll tell you the transition. When I was a promoter, I got to meet a lot of managers. I got to right. meet a lot of label folks, but I, but more my ability to get those bands was, you know, I, I made it a point very early on to get friendly with the managers because they tended to be my peer group. But and back in the old concert business, the agents hated it when promoters talked to managers directly. Mm -hmm. My bosses had relationships with managers, but they were much more deferential to the agents in terms of that. For me, I don't know. I was like, hey, I'm 
the Nexus is now picking him up at the freaking airport. You know, the right. cures manager. I'm going to London meeting with him and fucking yeah, yeah. having fun. And he comes to L.A. and I'm hugging him up. And, right, you know, right, right, right. I literally, I, it was like we yeah. didn't have a marketing department and fucking like all the Live Nation out marketing. But fuck, I booked it. I picked these motherfuckers up at the airport. Right. I hooked them up. You yeah, know, whatever they needed. Right. I was there to please, man. Not in a cheesy yeah. way, but it's like, no. you know, I, they, I want to make the experience comfort. good. Right, yeah. right. So I got to see some great managers and I got to see some knuckleheads. But what was obvious to me is that the managers were, from the time that band walked in the venue, the manager was the centerpieces of everybody, everybody's attention. Right? Mm-hmm. From the label guys, everybody's wanting to know how's the manager feeling, right? Yeah. And I picked up on that and thought, you know what? You'd be a good manager, Randy, because you're an advocate at heart. Right. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. That, that, those debate training and that, that mentality I got about how to, sure. to say, here's what we want and here's why you should give it to me and here's why you should feel good about it. Let me repeat what I told you, what you're going to do. And yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you, you got used to asking for the clothes. Right? Sure. And so I decided to become a manager and I left Avalon Attractions in my big fat gig and, you know, the big important guy at every show that everybody wanted to meet. Sure. You know, and I just got married and, and my wife just, to her credit, was like, okay, great. But it was like, I'm just walking out on this big yeah, gig yeah. to be a manager. And what, what was became instantly obvious to me is that it was one thing to get a big salary and be a big guy borrowing in some way the credibility of the company you work for and quite another to be a manager where... No money for the band. Right. No money for the manager. That is, for these kids out there that think they want to be a manager, I say that to them all the time, and I smile, and I yuck it up, and they think I'm kidding, but let me say it again. Yeah. No money for band, no money for manager, and when that's the case, you better have a make it fucking happen mentality about you, and that's why sometimes you yell, and sometimes it's sugar, and sometimes (laughs) it's whip, Yeah. because it is is real as it gets. Of course. And not to mention the band guys and all the stuff that you went through as totally, a band. You know, totally. All that goes on for the manager. And in fact, maybe worse because all the band guys in their worst moment are offloading their share of responsibility of for course. what might have happened. And the manager is a convenient guy. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. fucking lightning rod on the electric Totally. Storm. It's manager of the record label. Never the so, band's fault. Yeah, you know, I'm not crying about it, but it, no, that's yeah. what you accept. Sure, and So when I course. talk to people that want to be a manager, I fucking give them a rough ride. I go, you don't even know what the fuck you're getting into. You're totally. pushing the rock uphill. Everybody's bitching about you pushing the rock uphill. Everybody's <laughs> going to hate you at some part of the day. Yeah. And if that bothers you, right. you shouldn't do it. Right. <laughs> totally. Not and to mention, did I mention? No money for no money, band, yeah, no yeah. for artists. You're, you're, you know? you're taking 10% of nothing, you realize, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Well, unless you have a plan to make it something. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 10% yeah, yeah. of nothing at the beginning. Yeah. You need to be prepared. Right, 50. <laughs> okay. 20, all these English guys get 20. I don't know how they pull that off. <laughs> See, I, I said I'm not the smartest guy around, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but so yeah, but you, the you, top number worked out, so the 15 looked good. Yeah, exactly, know? exactly. But yeah, they, you you will you, you realize that the first the first year, especially because it's like I the, from a label perspective, the thing that always frustrated me in dealing with bands were you know if they have you know a friend that's managing them, mm. that's always the worst. Where you're just like you ha- like you have no experience, like you don't know, yeah. like and it's good mm-hmm. and you you they may be you know good hearted in nature, but you're just like dude, like don't be difficult to work with because you don't know, like you don't know the context yeah. of what we're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and so like, obviously having to build that credibility on your own, like, was that, yeah. 
Was that extremely difficult when you first were like, hey, I'm a manager now, guys? No, because being a concert provider was a great responsibility uh, right. thing. You know, you booked the show, you were right or you were wrong, typically in six weeks, and there was no hiding it. There was a scorecard at the end of the night. It's true. So, again, did you did you how, did you walk away with bands like you already had a a stable of bands you wanted to work with when you initially left? Or well, there just... was one band I was managing a band called Drama Rama. Okay, yeah. um, and I left, and they were you know my first client. Got it. And and I had met some managers along the way, one of whom had had gone to work for Polydor Records mm-hmm. in London, and a uh, guy who managed this band, The Alarm, who I became very close with. You know, took care of him, took the band guys out to play golf. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, you're charitable. I, mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. figure out what everybody's hot buttons were, and I wasn't shy about pushing them in a right. good way, right. right? And anyway, he went to work at Polydor Records because he figured out what every manager figures out, which is it's tough, and all of a sudden somebody offers you a hundred grand, and you're going to be the in-house fuck. Let me get, let me get that. One, yeah, right? yeah. So he put me on to a young band called The Wonder Stuff, who the English company had a couple well-intentioned managers, right? Um, who were good. Good blokes, you know, not necessarily the, the, the most experienced guys in the world. Right. And they wanted to break the ban in America. And this guy, they said they had a conversation. We need to get a fucking American manager. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so this Ian Wilson said, I got the perfect guy, this fucking guy, Those Steve Rennie. Yeah, yeah. And so he hooked me in there, and I wound up getting Polydor Records to actually pay me a retainer against the band's royalties. Because I explained to him, I'm not going to make any money and I'll do this, but i got to fucking at least pay the guys in my office. Right, so, right. So I did that. And, and the same thing happened through another friend, Alan McGee, who was managing, um, oh God, what was the name of his label? <laughs> Creative Rec- Creation okay. Records. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, Creation, yeah. And Alan was a terrific A&R guy, crazy character of a guy. Mm-hmm. And so he had Primal Scream. Primal Scream, yeah, yeah. And so they needed an American manager. Same thing, they had the mate, you know, kind yeah. of slash blow dealer is their... Manager, <laughs> right? Uh, we need some North so American. They needed rep- a straight guy in there, so again, I get the call. It's like almost every. So you you were like, you were like the North American representative, where it's like, all right, yeah, let's pipe, let's yeah. let's, let's and, pipe and, Steve and in with this, yeah. and it wound up working out because because I was the American manager. I had I don't know if it was, I just for better or worse, I've always been myself, which is really honest. And so these guys love me because all of a sudden. There's this guy in a, in, in a nice but forceful way going, hey, gentlemen, we can do anything we want to do. Right. But we're about to drive off the fucking cliff here in case anybody's interested. And all the fucking gack and freaking whiskey ain't going to change the fact that we're about ready to drive off the cliff. Right, right. So I thought I should take note of that. And yeah, then yeah. the band guys would... Right. They would gently listen and, and people would go, oh my God, what's this guy's ma- right. magic? Fucking hell, I'm telling these guys what's fucking real. Right, okay? right, right. You're and not, you're not way, just a yes man. If I can't have a real conversation, I need to know, are you fuckers trying to drive off the cliff? Because right. I'm trying to drive to the end zone here. <laughs> right. And if you guys are hell bent... Love you, right? But I'm gonna get out, right? You know what I mean? This and is this is not this is not a prudent. So I wasn't your typical suck ass manager, I guess, in some ways, you know, right? And 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 that is what a just, man yeah. needs. They right. need that. They don't need another best friend. They need somebody to go, dude. Yeah, let's this, think about this. This plane's about ready to fucking crash. I suggest we get the fucking nose up on this thing. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. They need. No. Yeah. Well, you think? Fuck, 
Yeah. Boom. Okay, yeah, yeah. I did it. Now I get pissed. All right. I don't right. care. We're fucking gonna live to talk about it. You right. Know? Exactly. You guys gotta pay attention. You'll still have a career. Here. Right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, and the the uh, I like the. Uh, I mean, it's also been interesting, obviously, in the the duration that you've worked with Incubus, because the um, it's like I remember like prior to working at labels, I worked at like an independent record store in Orange County, and it was like that was right when um, you know Incubus started to hit, like you mm. know whatever, like mid nineties. Yeah. And it's been interesting because it's like the it's it's so difficult for bands to transition out of like quote unquote scenes you know yeah. where it's just like incubus at the time is just like oh they're just like you know whatever second wave new metal band yeah like and the fact that they've been able to transcend like oh, i would say transcend but be able to move past that yeah. like, that's that that's like yeah. next to impossible well i've had nothing to do with that right you know i mean sense. i know musically they've obviously pushed themselves yeah they've always done what they wanted to do musically and uh so I mean, there are managers out there that influence, but I, I, you know, for for again, for better or worse, my mentality has been is that I'm not a musician. I'm a music fan at the end of the day, and you know, I have a, right. a, I guess, a pension for, you know, understanding, you know, and how to motivate musicians. But I don't tell them what to write. Yeah, you're not you're not going in there like, hey, could you um, tune that uh, rock yeah, tom to a? I'm not <laughs> trying to be the video director, and I've seen a lot of managers do it, and. And there were times when I thought, well, am I not a good manager? But it, that was the guys I was working with. And the kind of artists that I've worked with over the years are people that already have a clear idea of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And most of my conversation is about, tell me where you want to go. Make me believe you're serious about it in, in, in terms of, are you willing to not to only identify the, right. the target, but put in the work? Because nobody's coming to see me. Right. I'm at the end of the day representing you. And the more you can load my gun with, we do what we say. We don't do everything, but we do what we say we're going to do. Right. For all the stuff we don't do and somebody wants to bitch about it, I'll handle those people. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You guys do your thing. So that, that worked out great. And so that's how I became a manager. But I also became aware of how difficult it was because I managed five or six different bands. And they were all were getting on the K-Rock shows. And so they all had some you know, visible level of success but what i learned is that there are really only two states of being in the music business nowhere or somewhere right, right. right? i mean it's oversimplifying but not well, yeah, much yeah. right and any suggestion that there's a middle ground in my humble opinion would be the equivalent of taking a snapshot of somebody in the middle either on their way up or on the way down but right. that middle spot is largely a moment in time, not a state of being. Right, of course. Right? Yeah. And you can appreciate it. It's not that. permanent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why so few artists are be able to just make a living being a musician unless they're a studio guy or so forth and so on. Being in a band is much more um, it's much more volatile. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has its highs. You don't have to fall in love with the guy who came in and played that great solo on your record if he's a crack, if he's like the equivalent of a music business assassin. Your job, come in, kill that solo, get out of here. Right, right, and here's right. Here's your 1500 bucks for that track. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, so anyway, that, that, you know, at some point I, I'd been managing all these bands and got the attention of a guy named Richard Griffiths at Epic Records who I'd become friendly with. I had signed a band to Epic Records that was kind of signed through this whole process where Epic didn't really sign them. Sure. You know, it was somebody who was in the Sony. And they 15 got, million and they incubator got deals. Right, right. Yeah, they got signed. And so I go to New York thinking I'm going to get a relationship with this guy about this artist. And he sits me down and goes, we're not going to put out Robert's record. <laughs> You're like, thanks but, for flying me out here. <laughs> we'd like to hire you as our head of video promotion. And I go, what do you think about that? I said, well, first I'm trying to get rid of that kick in my fucking ball. Right, right. In my stomach. <laughs> uh, let me think about that one, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it meant moving to New York, and I wasn't going to move to New York. Right. Know? And so that kind of, but it was the start of a relationship. And it turns out this guy was a golfer, and he liked my 
for whatever reason, just like my attitude. Sure. So we became friendly because I was managing a bunch of, I had two other bands on Epic Records. Right. And so we were out playing golf one day in some music industry tournament, and they were sitting in the golf cart waiting for the green to clear. Steve, have you ever thought about working for a label? Not really, Richard. Right. Um, well, I, I think you'd make a fine general manager of the West Coast. And again, I turn it, Richard, are we just killing time or is that an offer here? What, right. what the fuck is All of a sudden now it's becoming obvious to me why we're not playing with the general manager of the West Coast in our group. Now this is all coming. Yeah, you're like, oh, I got it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Got it. okay, now I get why Alan's not playing with us. Right. So I said, well, if you're serious, yeah, I'll think about it. I, I, I had just about come to the end of my rope managing a bunch of bands that were cool, that weren't quite there. It's like mid-level Scream was stuff. my last client before, and that was just such a rock and roll circus. I just thought, oh, sure. God, I can't pin my hopes on Bobby Gillespie. I no, no. Even, I can't even understand this. No, 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 no. You know no. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I went to work at Epic, and that's how I went there. So I started as a senior vice president general manager, which if you worked around Sony back then, or even now, I suppose. Right. The idea of some manager who's not even a, quote, big manager coming in and being your boss oh, yeah, like, went down like a fucking brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll say that once we got through some moments of you know, the pep talk about some learning curves, hey, yeah. all you fuckers are showing up at 10.30. What the fuck is that all about? Right. Well, that's the way it is. We're all working late. What? Fuck you, man. I'm here at 8 o'clock. I want to see everybody in the saddle by 9 o'clock. I'm going to make that your concession because I don't want to hear about you're fucking doing something special. Of course. Fuck you. We're showing up in the morning here, right? So right. everybody got. And, you know, I was great at walking around the office trying to help out because the general manager was like the coach. Of course. And so over time, everybody started showing up and they were going, you know what? Yeah, yeah. the culture we, changed. We, we, right. we, we kind of we like this guy. He's not a mean guy. He just likes to walk around and come in your office and say, so what are you working on? Yeah, you know we're gonna help you with. I need this guy's pissing me off. Okay, you know I'll I'll, I'll have a yeah. I'll have a little pep talk with right. I'll help, right, right. I'll help this out. And that's right. So I was like the, the in-house manager for four years, and that's where I met Incubus. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and when I went to work it up, I swore I would never manage another band again in my life because it was just too thankless a job for no money. Yeah. And I and I'll say it. People go, oh, they feel guilty talking about money. I. There was no doubt in my mind I wanted to make money in the music business. Of course, and, and right. I never had a problem with thinking, hey, I, I'm not screwing anybody to do this. Yeah. Artists get through this freaking mess. They deserve to get fucking paid for it. Right, you know? of so course. Anyway, that's why I met Incubus. And in a, in a, again, in one of those weird, strange moments of like things that happen, you know, I was talking to my boss and saying, I saw this band last night, and he goes, what are they like? And I said, well, they're kind of like, you know, Rage Against the Machine meets Corn yeah. meets Average White Bending. Well, that fucking sounds horrible. <laughs> By the way, you are sure. no fucking A&R man. Thank you, Richard. Right, thank you. Know? you. But one of his buddies who was not A&R was in the room that night, this guy named Kaz Atsunami, who he'd worked with at Virgin Publishing. And I said, mm -hmm. well, you know what? You, can, you, you fancy your boy Kaz and A&R? Fuck yes. Oh, yeah, we'll get, call him up. He was slinking around in the fucking corner, right? Yeah. And at the time, I didn't know that Richard was wooing Kaz to come into Epic Records. Okay. Know? So anyway, long story short, uh, Richard got over the fact that I wasn't an A&R guy. We wound up signing Incubus. Right. And I told Richard my closing <clears throat> statements. Was, I said, Richard, I swore I'd never manage another band again, but I'd fucking manage these little fuckers. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And that's a true story. Right, right, right. And so ironically, two years later, I, I left, you know, <laughs> partly to go, mostly to go to work for this uh, internet startup, Artist Direct. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, 
But I had the good sense. Actually, it wasn't just my good sense. The, the day after I left, I got a call from Mike Einziger, the, mm-hmm. the guitar player in the band. He goes, dude, what the fuck are you leaving? And you know, yeah. I go, well, I got this opportunity. Mike, dude, you got to be the, you got to be partners with our managers. Hey, Mikey, you talked to Mark about that? No, we're, we're going to handle that. Well, they didn't handle that. I wound up having to handle it, right? In true, uh, in true management fashion. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Mikey knew that he's going to be fucking you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we did, and that's how I became Incubus's manager. Yeah, yeah. But I only did four years at the label. Okay, and, got it, got uh, it. But it was, it was the final piece of my kind of education about what I what I constantly refer to as the real music business, not the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Academic version of course of how right. it goes. Yeah, yeah. You know this, what is, I mean? this is yeah. This is this is the way that you can put yeah. these pieces together Seeing to be successful. People's agendas, understanding that when labels said this is really in the band's best interest with the greatest respect to labels, it's not they're not doing this for the artist's best interest. No, they're not. Yeah. Young managers believe that guys like me go, go fuck yourself. Okay. Right, right. I'll be in charge of the band's history. Here's what I need you to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is what your, we'd like your to decision do you want to do it or not? Yeah. Exactly. You don't know crying. You don't need a bitch about it. You either want to do it or not. Right. And right. And let's then not we'll, get all fucking wacky about this. Right. Let's go out and play golf when we're done. <laughs> let's figure okay? this out. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Similar to what you're talking about, where it's like obviously you were able to put golf in a corner and call it a hobby. Mm-hmm. And because I see, I see this happen so many times, where it's like, and I'm sure you've run across it a lot too, where it's like you you get a kid, you know, whatever, 18, mm-hmm. 19, 20 years old. Yeah, just like music, everything. And then it's like, by the time they're 25, they've burnt themselves out yeah. because they're either whatever, they're either trying to accomplish too much or they're just like, you know, they're going to seven shows a night and it's like, or I mean, seven shows in a week. And it's mm-hmm. like the, you know, obviously you have not got burnt out yourself. And I like, had moments. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah, you've you had know. this sort of like come to Jesus moments where it's like, oh, do I really want to be do, like, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't, they're coming, they're, they're just <laughs> moments. Where the just you know the the weight of it sometimes you know just from musicians and anybody working close there's just times when you just go this there's got to be an easier way right you know? yeah, because you're you're dealing with so much uncertainty all the time right of and then the emotions that come with it so there those those moments I felt like that are always less about the business and more about you know the emotional toll sure. And and, and 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 I think not to cry about it, but be, you know, when you're a manager or when you're the coach of a team, you know, you're the one that's always giving the pep talk. So there are these desperate moments I think that I've gone through where you sit there and you go, Who gives who gives me the fucking speech to keep going today? Right. You know? Who says, who fucking, who says Steve, who are you okay? The coaches, right? You know, right. Where, where the where the fuck is my blue blankie here? You know, exactly. Like, what the fuck are we doing? God damn you, nothing. That's, right. like that's true. Folks. I'm fucking out of gas now, and there's no. And the truth is, there is nobody. It's true. Yeah, to yeah, give yeah. you those speeches. So those have been those are those are my the, the moments the that I've had yeah. over the years. You know, where you just go, fuck. Right. You know. Yeah, and to be that and, said, right. I've gone through that every year for 36 years. Right. And my wife will tell you, you know, every year is God's going to be the end, and goddamn, I don't know how we can do this, and you go through. God, am I just a lucky bastard that I've been able to get through this? And right. I think over time, you know, you sit there and go, well, you, yes, you were lucky in a lot of ways, but it wasn't all accidental. There were conscious decisions, you know, you make along the way, and some of that conscious decision is, in spite of all the shit you're going through, um, just show up. Yeah. Show up because you're a phone call away from something great happening, and I, I I'm not being flip about that. No, you, no, you no. are a phone call away from something great happening at any moment. The question of the day is, can you keep showing up? Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, can, I mean, can you? I think that's like such a key point that a lot of people. It's like you, you know, 
if you have this desire to work with something that you're passionate about, no matter what mm. it is, mm. you just need to be present. You need to be you need to be close to it. Yeah. Not like two steps away from yeah. it. Because that's what that's yeah. when it you get completely passed over. Yeah, no, it's it, and it's not you right, it's not just the music business. It, I, I, I I I take it to a different if you're looking to do something great and, 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 and meaningful and it's now all that needs to be is in your own life. You know, you don't need to be king of the world, you need to be king of your own world. Of course. King or queen of your yeah, own you world. define success, and, right. And and so to, you know, you have to really have a, a burning passion for it because even with things you love, whether it's family, whether it's golf, whether it's the guys in the incubus, there are moments when you're going to hate them, yeah. you know, or hate it. Right. And, and uh, y- y- if you don't love the ride, it's difficult to get through those moments. Of course. And I've seen it ruin some people. I've seen it kill some people, yeah. you know, uh, without getting all dramatic. And uh, it's why people get successful and all of a sudden then they're jamming heroin or doing, you know, right. these things just make no sense. I understand it, you know, from an intimate Right, like the... the place. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, under, you understand why a person would do that. It's like, obviously it doesn't yeah. mean that you were going to do it yourself, but yeah. it's like, no, I get, I get I, why I you're get, like that. I get what drives you there. <laughs> right. Right. You exactly. Know? Cause people always get, you know, lost, you know, the force from the tree is saying, where it's just like, if you're not, if you're not enjoying the process of doing something, mm-hmm. then you're not actually enjoying it. Yeah. No, it's funny. There's a, a guy, you, you probably know him, Dr. Bob would tell, I talked about him all the time. He's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He was a golf psychologist. Oh yeah. And, uh, when I was, I was having a difficult time, you know, playing as well as I thought I should play in competition, which, you know, people go, who gives a shit? I'm playing for a fucking team cup. But it was just <laughs> right. that, it was that measure of, of I'm putting in time. I, I, I need to get a scorecard on this. And he would talk about that, that, you know, he would raise it. It's not about the scorecard. It's not about when you start thinking in those terms, it's easy to get lost. He said, you got to love the process, you know, and, and I, my translation of that is you got to love the ride. You know? right. So today I went out before I saw you today, I went out and out to the golf course this morning just to hit some golf balls and yeah. drink a cup of coffee and smoke my cigar and, and just think, you know, it wasn't even so much thinking about golf as that that little process of doing and just frees up my mind to do other things. So today I wasn't out there like competing yeah. for a tournament. Right. I was out there today just clearing my head. And for me, that winds up getting thinking about the process of golf and, okay, I want to set up. I want to do this. I want to hit this shot here. Right. Was really going to get me ready for what I'm going to do when you're done. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Free, so, but yeah. it's the, it's the process. You know, it's me, it's my thing of knowing. Get lost in the process, so you're not you're you're just thinking right. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it sets you on the right path, and you're yeah. not you're not ever because you're never going to reach an end game. People no. are there, there's always there's always that next level. No, you get there. I, I've talked about it with you. You know, it's funny <clears> when you like, whatever that thing I want to be here in your life. It's been my experience. Whenever and I've had a million of those things. I like, we can just get here. Right. It's not like you arrive in a split second. Right. You know, the analogy I always use is. You know, for people that don't live in LA, they wouldn't appreciate it. But you know, I've you know spent a lot of time on airplanes over the last thirty six years, and there's nothing I like more, whether it's a plane ride from Sydney, Australia, or from London, or these long flights. Yeah. That last half hour mm-hmm. that you're flying into LA, and it's particularly poignant in my head when I'm flying in at night, where you come in over Palm Springs, and yeah. for a half hour you're arriving in LA. Totally. So your mind's already there long before the wheels touch down. And I think what, 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 what it means is that, you know, for me, the actual getting to that 
spot was always somewhat anticlimactic because we'd arrived. You could tell you were on the path and you were going to land, and my mind would already be wandering to the next one. Yeah, you're like, that's the part I said. Thing, are you out of your fucking mind? Why can't you just take a win and just take a and moment. go have a beer? Right, <laughs> just chill, chill out for a second <laughs> before yeah. I start like Red Man MB, which oh, this would be fun. And then all of a sudden, now I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah, doing twenty, about it, but thinking about you know what? This is actually went from a whisper to a scream and. How do you keep it going? Because it's, it, again, in the musical contest, it's, it costs money for strings and this and that. And so, right, right. as Brandon Boyd put it, you know, best in this little video, different years. You know, I would do this for free. You know, I was decided I was going to take. You know, all that came with being an artist. He said, but you kind of got to get paid to keep doing it. Of course. And and he always gets uncomfortable saying it. And I find now that I'm doing this thing and kind of arguably in some context became the front man of this thing. Totally. That we kid around how I have turned into a singer and he just looks at me and I and goes, see, it's your payback, Steve. You're like, I think about it all the time. We yeah. talked about it again this morning, you know? <laughs> You're like, and well. And I just go, wow, yeah, there's something. it's a lot easier sitting at the sound desk, you know, with my water and my cigar and, right. you know, just... Yeah, sitting there being the proud papa. Right, exactly. <laughs> just like just hanging out, and doing being this. the front man. Right, then you know. Also, I'm there. worried about the monitors and shit, and and I'm just waiting for man and boy to go. Well, Steve, here I got some advice. Why don't you just sing? <laughs> and you're like, Fuck oh you, Jesus, okay, yeah. Well, God, all right. I hate it when they use my fucking speeches on me. Full circle. Shit. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah. It's funny. That's incredible. Well, I could. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I no think problem. It's, it was. Uh, it was fun for me. I hope it was fun for yeah, you. Yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun. Talking. <laughs> so there you go. There is Steve Rennie. I mean, I left that conversation being like, "Oh man, I wish I had a person like him." When I first started to like get into music, as far as like figuring out if this is something I wanted to dedicate my life to, as far as you know, making a living out of it, like trying to figure out how to quote unquote break into the biz and. I mean, I never had those like aspirations of being like, oh, I've got no connections and now I need to find connections and like I need to pay a person to help me do that. Not to say that Steve does that, but Steve just gives so many great pointers and so many, I don't know, insights to the way that he operates and in turn the way that the music industry operates. So anyways, go support him, visit his website, contribute to his campaign. It's got about, uh, I don't know, a week or so left. So do it sooner than later. Visit propertyofzack.com. Visit nosleeprecords.com, proud sponsor of this episode. Yeah, until next time, thank you very much. And the editor for this episode is Tom Richfield. Mad props to him. So let's talk next week. Be safe, everybody. Everybody.